Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Cardboard Memories, The Phoenix Tube Company, Matt Giuliano's Play Like a Pro Baseball, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen and DeBrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. And for those of you that are just tuning in, our guest tonight is a former Major League Baseball shortstop who played for the New York Mets, Philadelphia Phillies, and Texas Rangers from 1965 to 1980. After retiring, he served as a coach for the world champion 1986 Mets and as a manager of the Mets in 1991. Inducted into the New York Mets Hall of Fame in 1982, he anchored the Mets infield for 13 seasons, including their 1969 championship season and their 1973 pennant winning season. He is a two-time All-Star gold glover and has a World Series rings from both the 86 Mets as well as the 1969 Mets. As a player, it is a thrill, it's a thrill to welcome to Sports Talk New York Daryl McKinley Harrelson, better known to us all as Bud. And I know there are lots of Buddies guys out there listening tonight. I have to tell you, I spent a week at fantasy camp with Buddy, and you know, the name couldn't fit anyone any better because he really is everyone's buddy. So welcome, Bud. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, you know what? Uh... If I knew I did all did all that, I would ask for a raise. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know, Buddy is number thirteen on Joe Gergen's list of, of, the, of the fifty all-time right. Mets. And that's pretty and good. On top of it, last week in our sim between the nineteen sixty-nine and nineteen eighty-six Mets, Buddy Harrelson got the winning hit in right. that game and went and went three for four against Dwight Gooden. So uh, you actually join us tonight to talk about your new book, Turning to My Journey to the Top of the World and Back with the New York Mets. One of the things I like to do when I first get a book is to see who the author dedicates the book to. I think you kind of get a sense of who the person is by the way they phrase the dedication and you know people who don't know you personally probably would get a good sense of who you are by your dedications so let's start with each of them and perhaps you can talk a little bit about them uh the book starts out this book is humbly and gratefully dedicated to three men who have had a profound effect on my professional career glenn mckinley harrelson my dad and my first little league coach who taught me about the game of baseball at an early age tell us a little bit more about your dad well, he was really low-key. Um, you know, I, I I grew up with a lot of guys that started in Little League, and their fathers were out there yelling and, you know, and telling them what to do. And uh, my father preferred to, to uh, come to the game and not be seen. Uh, he didn't want to hear the other parents yelling and screaming. He just... Uh, he just watched me, and, and um, you know, that, that was a positive for me. You know, I was real small, uh, 96 pounds, 97 pounds as a freshman in high school. So, you know, I didn't know exactly what I weighed when I was in Little League. But he uh, he played everybody, and, and um, he didn't really care about winning. You know, it was more of uh, more of learning. And, uh, you know, he, he only did it a year, but... Uh, all the way through my career, no matter if I was in high school, I, I never saw him. I knew he was somewhere, uh, but um, and he, he had, if he saw me make an error or, you know, didn't get a hit or whatever, uh, he, he had no response to it, you know. And uh, I remember going to college, and I was struggling a little bit, and he said, when's your next game? And I said, uh, Tuesday. He said, go get him on Tuesday. So he uh, he really he really gave me a good foundation to you know just relax and do what you can do and you know do your best hustle and uh, you know he was a 
he was a he was my best buddy until he passed away. You know, I, I had a lot of respect for him. He, uh, you know, he worked seven days a week. Um, you know, for a long time, and and uh, you know, he was a good example to to uh, to me and my older brother as well. Now, the second dedication is Don Carley, my high school coach, who converted me into a shortstop and worked with me tirelessly, literally hitting thousands of ground balls to help me approve. On this one, buddy, I'm going to go in a few directions. First is, what do you think Coach Carley saw in you that made him work so hard to improve you so much? And in your coaching and managing days with both the Mets and the Ducks, is there a player that you feel you did the same thing with? Um... Well, I think if you talk to Backman and you talk to, uh, you know, when I, in 86, if you talk to Backman and you talk to Tuffle, um, you know, I didn't mess around with Hernandez, but, you know, uh, the middle infielders, uh, I, I did work a lot with Howard Johnson, um, just on, you know, um, footwork and stuff like that. And, you know, eventually I put him a little bit uh, at shortstop when I needed that. So, um those would be the guys that I think, if you talk to, would say that uh, I helped them get better. And lastly, Gil Hodges, you say, made you into a better player and I hope a better person. He was and is and always will be my Hall of Famer. Now, one of the topics we spoke about at Fantasy Camp over breakfast was about Gil. The conversation was with you, Ron Sobota, and Joe Pignatano. And it wasn't about baseball. It was about what a special man Gil was. And while it's been so many years since his passing, it's obvious that his passing left a void in all three of your lives because you could tell the way you guys spoke about him. What was it about Gill that made him so revered to men who knew him? Well, you know, he was, um, you know, if, if, he, if he had to say it was God and then it was family and then it was baseball. And, um, you know, he he was a, a just a, a gentle giant. You know, I mean, they talk about Frank Howard being a, a gentle giant, which he is, you know, just a a nice man, but don't mess with him. And I think Gil had that same reputation that, you know, uh, yeah, he's an icon. Uh, you know, he, he played, he played for the Dodgers, he played for the Mets. Uh, you know, he, he became a manager early, early on and uh, had to handle some pretty rough guys. Like You knew he was boss. I think that the front office knew he was boss. Um, you know, he he talked to guys privately. Uh, he never showed you up. Um, he he was quiet, and uh, he was a guy. You know, um, I just give you an example. You know, Gil. I Gil met me, at, at, and then we went to spring training, and and I got on the scale, and I was 147 pounds. And he said, "You're probably the strongest 140 pound player I've ever seen." And then Gil passes away, and we have Yogi. And so I go to spring training for Yogi. And Yogi says, oh, he called me Shorty. He said, oh, Shorty, you're only 147 pounds already. You're going to die in this heat down here. You know, so with Gil, I walked around with my, you know, walked out with my chest sticking out like, yeah, yeah, you know. And with Yogi, uh, you know, I love Yogi, but, you know, he... Uh, was a lot different than Gil. You know, Gil was a conversationalist. Uh, Gil was a guy that if you didn't do anything, he just called you in. And uh, if you did something wrong, um, 
And I think that's what, if you talk, you only talk to three players in, in fantasy camp. If you talk to every single player on that ball club, he had conversations to make them better. And, uh, you know, uh, his philosophy was the air is human. To make a mental mistake is not professional. And so he, he got us thinking more and uh, preparing for what if this happens and what if that happens, you know. And you could be talented, but, you know, if sometimes you're not clever and smart and, and you anticipate what the hitter's going to do because you know – you study them, and you know what he's going to do with with a three and two pitch or a three and one pitch, and you know he's going to pull the ball, and you have to know the guys that stop pulling the ball once they get two strikes on them. They just go the other way or up the middle. So that's that's what Gill had, Gil had going to him. And I I remember you know coming up through the ranks, and then having uh, you know different managers, and then Gill came, and then all of a sudden something in the game. Is, was going wrong. He said, "Oh God, he better get somebody up." And you look, and then there would be somebody up. So he, you know, anticipated something happened, and, and if something happened, that he needed to have somebody ready, and he already did. So you know, he was a thinking manager, and he got us to play. You know, if you think about Gil Hodges um, uh, during the season, he platooned a lot of guys. In other words, he kept a lot of guys. Uh, ready, and if you look at the uh, '69 World Series against Baltimore, we weren't favored anywhere, <laughs> you know. And he uh, he played everybody at the towards the end of the season, uh, you know. And, and I think our team was more ready as 25 guys than they were ready as nine guys. Yeah, in fact, that's funny because AJ and I were talking with Ron Santo getting inducted into the Hall of Fame today. You take a look at that Cub team with, with Fergie Jenkins, now Ron Santo, with Billy Williams, Williams and Ernie Banks. Four you know, Hall of Famers. You guys have the one in Tom, but yet you guys you know, beat them through the season to, to, to win the, the East. And Six then, in a row. Right. Yeah. And then you guys beat the Braves with Hank Aaron, another Hall of Famer, and, and Negro. And you know, it shows you that. Cardi. And Rico Cardi. Yeah. <laughs> it shows you what a, a, a 25-man unit can do. Uh, I had a laugh at the way you opened the book, and it brought up so many memories for me, because I guess, probably to the dismay of most of my elementary and high school teachers, most of the things I learned, I learned from you know Murphy, Nelson, and Kiner, including geography. I found out where the three rivers were, um, but I also knew very important dates. So I had already known the first words in your chapter one that state, your birthday is one of the most famous and important dates in American history. So uh, could you fill our listeners in a bit that, because that's a pretty bold statement for a lifetime 236 hitter. Yeah, uh, you know, and um uh, it was an important part in the history of, of the United States, and I was born on D-Day, and that's why Lindsey Nielsen and, uh, you know, a lot of the people that were in the service, you know, Yogi was, and there was, uh, you know, quite a few people that were very, very uh, aware of June 6, 1944, which is the actual day I was born on. And, uh, you know, Phil Pepe did a lot of research and. There was a lot of guys uh, in baseball that that were born on June 6th, but there weren't. Uh, there, I mean, you know, the only one that he could find was actually born on D-Day. 
<laughs> now, I don't know how many of people in our audience, actually I do know of one, because this is, he, I know he's actually in there because he's been in the chat room. Jeff Cohn and I, growing up, as a kid, you'd play initials and you'd try to stump each other. You, you'd take a team and you'd give them a, a player. And one of the two from the 69 team that I always stump people on were GS and DH. George Seaver, no one ever got that, and no one ever got Daryl Harrelson. So how did Daryl McKinley Harrelson become known as Bud? Um, well, my, my father had a cousin named Buddy, and, um, but I think it really came from my brother. Um, you know, when, when you have a, when he's two years and a little over two years older than me, um, you know, when I'm born, he's a little over two years old. And I think it started with Bubba and then it got to, you know, Bud. And in high school, I was known as Bud O because they put O's after everybody's name when I was uh, in school. And, um, you know, I, I went by Bud. Uh, you know, I, I like the fact that when I, the Mets put me in the Hall of Fame, uh, they said a lot of guys are dropping their, uh, you know, keeping their real names. Uh, and I said, well, my, you know, if you want to put Bud in there, but my real name is Daryl McKinley Harrelson. And there's about five or six uh, generations of McKinley and um, my my dad's gone, my mom's gone. I really never found out where McKinley came from, but hopefully it wasn't from the assassinated uh, president. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Eddie Cranepool to this day still calls you Daryl, right? He does, yeah. You know, I have uh, different guys call me different names. You know, Seaver gave me Buddy, but basically because we're roommate, he calls me Roomy. Uh, Rusty called me Chi-Chi because he played golf with me, and I guess he called me Chi-Chi because of... You know, Chichi Rodriguez. Uh, Willie called me. Uh, um, let's see, Yogi called me Shorty. Now I don't know if that was because I was a shortstop, but I assumed it was because I was short. And uh, I said, "Why do you call me Shorty?" You know, and and uh, I said, "Because I'm five ten and a half." He said, "So am I." I said, "You're not five ten and a half." He said, "Well, I'm five ten. I said, Yogi, you're not 5'10". He said, I am. I'm 5'10". I, so I gave him a little yogiism, and I said, well, I must be 5'12". <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh. You know, so, you know, a lot of funny things happened, you know, and that's, you know, I want to, with, with Phil, I want to write stuff that people are going to chuckle about, you know, not, you know, not, not the Pete Rose thing, which which we started with that, but you know, uh, Phil used a little of creativity uh, of saying, you know, uh, you know what what's a twenty eight year old, twenty seven year old man doing, you know, with fifty two thousand people in the stands rolling around with another adult in the you know in the dirt around second base, you know, and uh, you know. Bygones are bygones. You know, the game's the game's. Things happen, strange things happen, and then you move on. And, and you know, I played with Pete in 1979 in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, he was one of the most amazing players as a, uh, as a teammate that I've ever seen because he just comes out. He's, you know, I always said the Pete Rose doll. You wind it up, and it never stops. <laughs> it just keeps going and going and going. You know, I mean, he... He didn't throw good. He didn't have a great arm. He didn't have great speed. But he ran the bases like he was, you know, Mookie Wilson. 
you know, he would he would challenge challenge everybody with you know with one out to go to third base, yeah. and uh, and you know that diving through the air, head first thing, you know, uh, playing with him. You know, I looked at his arm. He ran into a he ran into a rail in left field, and and um, you know he played everywhere. You know, of course, for the Phillies, he was at first base. But I, you know, I, uh, this guy just went back out there and played. You know, and you know that Cal Ripken Jr. did that as well. You know, no matter what what he was playing. So, buddy, we're talking. This is AJ. It's, it's Hall of Fame week, and you bring up Pete Rose. What are your thoughts about Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame? Well, uh, I can't go for it. You know, I, you know the it was sealed. You know his the, the evidence was sealed, and it'll never. You know he took the ban, uh, but he did something that uh, is a no-no in baseball, and that is gamble. And uh, I would have to think if that they probably have some evidence that he did gamble, and you know, and it not just wasn't for his team to win. You know, so I don't know. You know, until till uh, I don't know. You know, I, I just don't think yeah. that. First of all, no matter what I think, I'm not in the Hall of Fame, so I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna have a vote. And I'm I'm a a, a writer, but I'm not a baseball writer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. And, <laughs> you, not, you can't vote right now. But as a Met fan, as you read the book, the names through your journey, it brings back so many memories. Some of the names you mentioned having impact on you in the minors are Casey Stengel, Solly Hemus, and Whitey Herzog. Casey in particular for making you to stick with switch hitting, which is an interesting story all by itself. So can you share that one as well as your refre- reflections? Yeah, on your I'll, try to make it, I'll try to really make it uh, quick. You know, uh, Casey had uh, retired. You know, and his, you know, he broke his hip, and he said, you know, if a manager limps to the, you know, has to limp to go to the, the uh, pull out the pitcher, then he should retire. <laughs> so he did it, but he was a consultant with the Mets, and and uh, he came to spring training, and West Western was the manager, and. Uh, I went to, uh, you know, I made it from, which is a good thing, you know, if you make it from the complex and you go over to uh, uh, Huggins Stingle Field, um, you know, they're going to look at you longer. And that was 66. And uh, I'm a rookie. You know, I did get called up early in 65, or late in 65, for the cup of coffee. And now I'm in spring training in 66. And uh, I had no you know, ego that I was going to make the ball club. So I went in, in, in Huggins Eagle has one little batting cage. And so I drove and got there real early. I went in and changed, got my, you know, workout stuff on uh, before the game. And I went in there and I was hitting right hand. I turned around and hit left hand. And all of a sudden I heard this voice. Hey, and I turned around, there's Casey. And he says, you got a good swing. Why don't you try it? Now, you know, Wills was the premier uh, switch hitter, you know, and he came up late. But Kessinger in in Chicago had done it in the big leagues the year before, in '65, and um, so he said, "Why don't you try it?" So I guess he told, you know, um, the manager, and um, 
I started the game, walked up there left-handed. Hoyt Wilhelm was throwing. He threw me a knuckleball. I bunted it down the third baseline, and now I'm a switch hitter. So, you know, I got sent out. Solly Hemus, who was another guy I mentioned, was a really, uh, really good little left-handed hitter in the big leagues and uh, taught me to stay inside the ball rather than try to pull it. And, you know, my left hand was weak compared to, you know, hitting right-handed. But, but uh, I, I worked on it. I worked on it. I worked it with him. They called me up in August. And then Whitey Herzog was there. And uh, he started work. He took over. So, you know, they may have talked together. And he had me bunting and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, he liked that staying inside because if you throw the head out, you're going to strike out. If you if you stay inside the ball, you can check your swing. So, you know, if you look at my career, I got a lot of walks. And, uh, and that certainly helped my on-base percentage, even if I went over 2, but I was up three, you know, five times. That means I got on base three times, which they don't pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Moneyball paid for it, but, you know. Um, you know, on base percentage, uh, I just had it checked out by the Mets, and I'm 340, and uh, that's higher than average. I'm 340 for uh, 340 something for my career of on base percentage. They, they pay big so, money for that now. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, you know, I was happened to be at City Field, and I said maybe I should go in and ask them for, you know, rebates. <laughs> Now, obviously, a huge part of the book is the 1969 season. Uh, I was reading that chapter, and, and you know, nine years old—that was—that's what hooked me as a Met fan, and it's still in my blood to these, you know, to this minute. Um, I got to talk to you about some of them and many of the guys over the years. But if you had to put into words what that set that season meant to you and your teammates, how would you do that? Well, I think it was, you know, not that it was a miracle uh, because we won 100 games, but, uh, you know, in essence, from from nowhere to everywhere, you know, um, if, you, if you look at any sport that the team didn't do well the year before and all of a sudden they're in first place, I think they used the 69 Mets as, a, you know, a, an example uh, you know, the one thing that the 69 did is that, you know, we beat Baltimore in five games. So, you know, it was, you know, we were on a roll. And like I said, you know, he used Rod Gaspar. He, you know, you saw guys in the game, in our games, uh, that, you know, J.C. Martin bonded the ball, got hit the back. They didn't call it. Uh, you know, shoe we, polish. <laughs> yeah, shoe polish. I mean, you know, it was all. Uh, it just was meant to be. You know, where there was a force that was moving us, but we, you know, the last month of the year, or the last, we won thirty-four out of forty-four games, or something like that. If you start a season thirty-four and ten, uh, everybody thinks you have already won. You know, but we. We just mowed through them, and, and uh, you know, it, it's the best thing for that team. That team has been celebrated year after year, you know, when uh, everybody talks about 86 because I was there, and they said, which team is better? And I said, listen, I played on the 69 team. We would have kicked your butts, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because I should say that, you know, uh, I should say that, although that. 
both teams were very, very dangerous in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. And, you know, that's when some teams lose. And uh, both of those teams were very, very good at coming back in, uh, late in the game. You know, almost like they bring in their, you know, their setup guys or their seventh, seventh, eighth, and ninth guys. And, and those those guys were all, you know, lipping their, you know, licking their lips like, Thank God they brought these hard throwers in, you know. <laughs> now you also yeah, it was it was it was some year, you know. It was just it was, we were just moving through it, and and you know there was different heroes every day. We didn't depend on anybody. I remember Clendenin coming in, and you know there was a big and he struck out, and he came in and he said, "You you guys, you guys." Or waiting for me to do something, he said. I I am lousy today. You better you better pick me up, and you know they did. But he was a he was a great addition for us because you know we didn't really have that guy that could turn a game around. And you know, you con- with one swing. And you contrast that with the '73 team and the push to the playoffs and Tug McGraws. You got to believe playing with Willie Mays. But then you're there as management slowly, piece by piece, start sending pieces of our beloved Mets away. First Tug McGraw, then the unthinkable and Tom Seaver. Spring training of 1978, just a few years removed from 73, only you, Jerry Kuzman, and Ed Cranepool left from the 69 team. Then in March, you're sent to the Phillies. And I vividly remember that as a fan, what each of those departures meant to me as a fan. But as a player who was part of those two really special teams, what did each of those trades of your teammates and then ultimately yourself feel like to you? Well, when, they, when you know, they did the Seaver thing, we went out the night before, Kuzman and Seaver and, um, and Grody, and, um, and, you know, he came, we came back from dinner, and he says, they're really going to do this. And we said, nah, they can't do this. And, you know, and I, I'm at shortstop, and I come in, and he's not there. And they said, it, they did it. And I went in. And I really cried with him. And, um, you know, he's, I mean, you still call him the franchise. So it was just something that that was, you know, it, it was out of anger with something rather than with, with you know, uh, futuristic uh, thinking that this guy made all of our pitchers better. You know, he was a hard worker. Uh, he was very, he was very... Consistent, you know. People said, "Yeah, you play better for your roommate." And I said, <laughs> "Well, if, you know, the other guys threw, you know, the pitch where they're supposed to throw it. You know, with he always did. You know, if it was supposed to be a, you know, a fastball away, it was a fastball away. Which means I, I know even if the guy hits it, um, lousy, you know, I'm going to be able. So I move it over to my left." Because he's pitching away, you know. I'm, I'm anticipating, and uh, you know, he, he didn't get tricked much. You know, he he did all the tricking. You know, he throw a lot of times. Uh, you know, when he wasn't really on, he, uh, he'd throw a slider instead of a fastball, and he'd get a ground ball, a shortstop. And, you know, I'd be very busy. You know, that's what I like. <laughs> so, so Seaver gets traded. To the Reds, and you're back on the team. What happened the day after? I mean, you were personally, obviously, understandably very upset by it. But what type of repercussion? What type of fallout did that have with the whole team the day? You know, the day after. 
Well, I can't answer for everybody, but I thought, you know, I mean, we just lost our best guy. So, you know, what happens now? But, you know, slowly after that, other guys went, you know. And, uh, you know, I was, that was 77, right, in June? Yep. Well, I was gone, you know, pretty much They, they, in, in the winter, they got Foley back and didn't even notify me that, uh, he was going to be the regular shortstop. I heard it on TV, so I was a little upset. And, you know, to go to spring training in 78, um, you know, and be a backup where you were start started for 11 straight years, uh, you know, it's a little difficult. So, you know, I, I did get traded, and I did back up Bowen, you know, uh, Trio, I played second more than I played short, um, you know, but I did well. I did what I was supposed to do. You know, it was a little difficult because we had such a rivalry with Philadelphia. <laughs> Certainly different you know. seeing you in a Philly jersey is yeah. absolutely true. Now, we had the late Gary Carter on a few years back, and he took us through his recollections of, if not maybe, definitely the greatest inning of Met baseball ever. You had a different vantage point than anyone else. As you're on the field as a third-base coach in the most amazing inning in Met history, tell us what you remember most about the ninth inning of Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. Well, we made two fast outs, that's for sure. You know, Backman and, and uh, Hernandez, bing, bing. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I saw Davey get up and look at the bat rack and kind of like rub his head like, how in the hell is this happening? You know, um, you know, we were too, the 10th inning, we were two runs down. So we needed really somebody to get on early. And, uh, you know, uh, Carter got, I call, I, I wear the 86 ring. Uh, I'm wearing it now, and I wear it at the ballpark, and I call it the Gary Carter ring. And uh, I didn't before, but after his, you know, losing him, um, it, had he struck out, Boston gets the ring. And um, they didn't get it, you know. And then, of course, Mitchell comes up, and he's got two strikes on him, and he gets on. Knight comes up. He's got two strikes on him, you know. And he, and and he drives in Carter, and I got I got Mitchell at third base, and they changed took Chiraldi uh, out and put in Stanley. And um, as a third base coach, you do this, you know. Even to this day, Mitchell says, Helson told me he said, "Watch out for a wild pitch or a pass ball." And I said. You, you know, you're giving me – I just had a feeling, though, with, with Gedman behind the plate and Stanley coming in that, you know, something might happen. But it's my job to just tell that to the guy on third base. And, uh, you know, uh, and then we got that. And then, you know, we're tied. We got Mookie up who fouled off 37 pitches, <laughs> you know, after the wild pitch. And then he hits the soft one to, you know, to – to first base, and to this day, I think he had Stanley beat, and I and I I know that Buckner doesn't say anything; he just takes the blame. Because he looked when you look when you're down to catch a ball and you look up. If you look up, you, your your glove is no longer on the ground, and um, I think he looked to see where Stanley was. Now, even if Mookie's safe, we're still tied, and we still have two outs, but. 
he missed the ball, and uh, the rest is history. And you know, I've never seen anything like that in my life. It was the most exciting moment I've ever seen. Now I looked over at Seaver. That team was on their feet with two outs, and they were at the bottom of the stairs. You know, there was a lot of stairs up and down uh, at Chase Stadium, and. Um, you know, they were all standing at Seaver. I looked at Seaver, you know, not too far away from me, and he did the, you know, the thumb and the thinky like a phone. I'll call you. <laughs> and uh, that call was never made. But, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, we celebrated like we won, but that's the sixth game. It wasn't the seventh game. And so we still had to win. And that game was back and forth. And, you know, we, we did it. Now, in closing, uh, right now you're involved with the Long Island Ducks, and it's very interesting because AJ and I coached a travel Mark, baseball team Mark's for many years. Mark's been going crazy since he learned this about three days ago. Three days so. ago, and uh, and I have to ask you about it because he was one of my players and AJ's players on our team, and you have a um, outfielder from Comac, New York, by the name of Matt Fleischman, who actually we uh, AJ and I managed for quite a number of years. So how is Matt doing with the Long Island Ducks? You know, Matt's still kind of like a rookie to us. But, you know, uh, we're – every time he gets in the game, he does something phenomenal, you know, and um, I think he's going to get his opportunity. Um, you know, he's a great kid, yeah. and he's, uh, he's very uh, confident. He's got a great swing, and uh, he's strong. Um, Why do you think he's so overlooked he, in the draft? Yeah. I don't know. I can't figure out baseball sometimes. I can't even figure out why some of the guys are, you know, with us. You know? You know, it's just uh, sometimes it's, you know, just scattering reports and, and uh, you know, baseball misses a lot of people, you know, and it's, sometimes it's unfortunate for, for, for people. But, um, you know, we'll see. You know, he... Well, definitely. First of all, he's from Villanova, and so is Frank Bolton. <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay, there's the connection. The Love right. it. He's got a good. He's got a good in already. You know, so I don't think he's going anywhere. You know, we we uh, we we like him, and we need to play him some more. But I, you know. Excellent. AJ and I will definitely come out there, and we, we want to see him play. Now, after spending a week with you down in fantasy camp, I laughed at the very last line in your book, which was, I told Kim, my wife, that if there ever comes a time when I can't throw batting practice anymore, that will be the time to take me out back and shoot me. Take it from someone who watched Buddy throw countless hours of BP. That time isn't coming anytime soon. So, Buddy, it's out, been an absolute pleasure. We thank you for your time tonight. Thanks so much. And the book is a wonderful read. People should go out there and get it for sure. Uh, well, we'll I appreciate it. Great that. read, thank and we'll you. see you out at the stadium. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thank the, you. The great Bud Harrelson.